This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey everybody, this week's episode is brought to you in part by Squarespace, the website that helps you make websites. Andrew, what's a website? It's a collection of words and pictures that you load in your web browser, and it's killed books. Well, you too <laughs> can help kill the written, the printed word with a website from Squarespace, which will help you showcase your work or promote your physical or online business using beautiful templates created by world-class designers. And if you have any problems, you can take advantage of their 24-7 award-winning customer support for help. So if you want to kill the printed word with a digital web space, you can go to squarespace.com overdue for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace, the future is now and you need a website now February is here it's pronounced February is that the canonical pronunciation? Yeah, it's pronounced February. Welcome to February. This is Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My, na- my name's Andrew. I'm going to pronounce everything like February now. Hi, Andrew. Good luck. <laughs> February. <laughs> I don't... That's one of the... How do we get to a word like February? February? February. Why are, are you... Drink some beers. It's February. Yeah, Let's go. that's kind of a bar, like what you would call a bar crawl that took place in February, it's, which is how you pronounce the month. It seems kind of mean that dry January is now followed up by February. February. <laughs> it seems really unfair. Welcome to our book podcast where we will talk about words like February and books like The Wind Done Gone by Alice Randall, which Andrew read for this week. I did. Thanks for stealing my thunder. Oh, sorry. Do now you my thunder's gone. Tell now, the, no the, thunder February. Thunder done gone. You want to tell us how the show works, Andrew? Uh, every week, one of us reads a book that we've never read before, mm. and then we tell the other person about it, and also you, because you're listening still, probably. You're trapped. Um, this book... You're trapped in our ear prison. <laughs> oh, Welcome. I don't like the words ear prison at all. <laughs> Um, this book was one of our Patreon recommendations. Thanks to Drama Milk. That's your username. Maybe it's your given name. I don't know. What did Drama have to say about why they were recommending this one? Uh, hello, I just became a patron so I can request the book The Wind Gone, which is a type of retelling of Gone with the Wind. Uh, which is classic, but from the point of view of the slaves on the plantation. My sister recommended your podcast over the Christmas holiday, and I love it. You two are a great pair. Your voices are easy to listen to, and I love the added commentary on each book and author. Wonderful work. So more things to say about us than the book, but That's I'll fine. take it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've started to keep in the complimentary parts of these Patreon messages as I read them, just to give us a good just, vibe. Yeah, because February is a long and cold and hard to pronounce month. And I think we just need it. We just need it. We need those good vibes. So I this had is not... also a daytime sun is out yeah, recording, man. and longtime fans will know that we <laughs> historically have struggled to get these done. 
So some praise is nice. Yes. Um, this is not a book I'd heard of before. When we talked about Gone with the Wind, which I think is episode like 291, something like that. Boy, that's very that's a very specific thing to not be 100% sure. About. I listened to it earlier this week. I think that's what it was. Um, there was like a, a, a sequel that had been published. It is 291. There you hey, go. Hey, look okay. at me. Called Ruth, I think. Um, but it's this is a not Ruth an official. Ruth with the wind. <laughs> sure. Um, so that book uh, was published in The Gone with the Wind in 1936 by Margaret Mitchell. And this book was published in 2001 by Alice Randall. And what is the, is there like a subtitle on the cover of this book or something? Is there what is it called, Andrew? I mean, it's just called The Wind Done Gone, but then there is a big red kind of <laughs> badge on it that says The Unauthorized Parody, which I believe, and you did a little bit more research on this than I did, but I believe that is the result of legal action brought by the estate of Margaret Mitchell after this book published. Yeah, we'll do a rundown of Alice Randall, and we'll get in, but then we'll get into the uh the legal trouble that this book found itself in i i'll be interested to know how you feel about the word parody because people's opinions of that word crop up in a lot of reviews of this book yeah like i i guess when i think of parody i am thinking of something that is more comedic i guess in nature where this is just kind of sort of flipping gone with the wind on its head in a bunch of ways okay um but I guess, like, definitionally, it sure. could count as a parody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is the definition of a parody? Let's see what Webster's Dictionary definition parody. Great. Can do. Good audio. An imitation of the style of a particular writer, artist, or genre with deliberate exaggeration for comic effect. Okay. So the comedy is kind of implied there. Hmm. I guess it's comic in a certain way, the things that are changed in this book. If you are like critical of Gone with the Wind, sure, okay, and some of the and and I'm trying to remember like 291 is a long time ago, yeah. Um, but as I recall, my my reaction to that book was to be kind of upset at how compelling I found it on yes. account of it perpetuates a lot of myths about the American South, uh huh, and how it was before and after and during the Civil War. <laughs> Yeah, you That was my short version. Yeah, you routinely praised Mitchell's like authorly abilities from a craft like telling information in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Uh but And re- Scarlet's just like a really neat and like pushing against type heroine, but yes. it's happening in the context of all this other stuff. Yes. Um so Randall herself, born in nineteen fifty nine in Detroit. Uh I found a really good interview with her about this book. Uh, on an episode of Freely Speaking, which is a public television show from the First Amendment Center at the Rip and Peace Museum. Um, you can go find that on the museum's YouTube channel. Okay. Yeah, I think they closed the museum. The old museum. <laughs> museum, same oh as the old museum. Um, so you want to go look that up. That's where I got some of this information. She was raised in Detroit. She refers to it as like Alabama, Detroit. Like the neighborhood was a lot of folks... Uh, or descendants of folks who had resettled from Alabama. Um, she attended Harvard. She then moved to Nashville in the 80s and became a country songwriter. Yeah, that uh, was, I found that pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, she was apparently like the first uh, African American woman to co write a number one country hit. 
and it was the theme for the X's and the O's, an American girl recorded by Trisha Yearwood of all people. Never um, heard of that song in my whole life. I've never. Apparently, she Trisha uses it as the theme for her cooking show, which I have seen. So maybe I've heard this song, which is hmm. bizarre. Um, but yeah, so she was in Nashville doing that for a while before she got into uh writing novels she's written four novels when done gone pushkin and the queen of spades rebel yell ada's rules and then she's written a cookbook with her daughter carolyn randall williams and a ya novel uh the diary of bb bright um and a lot i went to her website she has like an artist statement which we don't often it's not a thing that i have found for a lot of authors we've covered but she talks a lot about like often go to an author's website and just read whatever publisher approved blurb about their dog that is up there but this this is like i here is my vision statement for my yeah like there's not often like a statement of intent Mm -hmm. that we'd get to dive into um and she says i'm particularly interested in depictions of the african-american experience of motherhood reading and being southern um she is also interested in defining examining and depicting quote the good mother um, she goes on to say that she is deeply intrigued by the problems and possibilities that began to arise when southern rural blacks migrated to the industrial north, including the particular difficulties encountered by black Americans when they seek to return home. So she talks in the interview I cited earlier, like about finding her mother gave her this book when she was 12 and she still doesn't know why her mom gave her Gone with the Wind because <laughs> she grew up to really hate Gone with the Wind and she doesn't mm-hmm. even remember how her mom felt about it. Sure. Um, but she set off on this book, like wanting to, what are her words, um, provide an antidote to the poison of Gone with the Wind. Um, she said, my grandfather told a story of hitting a man with a crowbar for disrespecting his wife. This is like me striking at Miss Mitchell for disrespecting all black women from the 19th century. So, yeah, well, (laughs) Alice Randall's coming out swinging on this one. Um, and there's a lot of little things in the book like how she renders the Scarlet character like without a name, I think, right? Yes, um, right. That she does and because... None, and almost none of the characters in this book have... The names. The names yeah. that they had in Gone with the Wind. The only one is Mammy. Sure, 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 sure. Um, everyone else is like clearly... Like you know who everyone is supposed to be, but only Mammy is called the same thing. Okay, okay. Uh, she said she did that because like Mammy didn't get a actual name in gone with the wind so she was kind of like trying to balance the scales from her perspective um so then she gets into the lawsuit that we talked about earlier which is in you know when this book was about to reach publication sun trust who was administering the trust of the margaret mitchell estate sued for copyright infringement and like was approved by a district judge for like prior restraint and put an injunction on publication citing piracy and copyright infringement which i just that seems pretty expansive like that that's yep. a pretty that's a pretty uh i don't know i feel like this is like fair use is definitely for sure yes right? well within a few months a three-judge court of appeals panel said basically just that they overturned the injunction they said SunTrust could maybe sue for monetary damages, but likely had no standing, so they shouldn't bother. Um, the court said that it was an extraordinary and drastic remedy that amounts to unlawful prior restraint in violation of the First Amendment. Um, and then the judge writing for the panel said that... Uh, was this a unanimous ruling from the panel? I think so. 
I believe that's the case. I could be wrong. Okay. Uh, nothing sure. I found actually said that. Um, the court noted that the Supreme Court's definition of parody is vague because the high court has suggested the aim of parody is comic effect or ridicule. Uh, we choose to take the broader view of commentary on an original work. We will treat work as a parody if its aim is to comment upon or criticize a work by appropriating elements of the original. Um, I feel like there are words for those things, though, and it's commentary and criticism. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, I don't know. OK, sure. I, yeah, I don't know. Um, but the judge seemed to think that they really didn't have a leg to stand on. But those intervening months where this book was people knew about it. There are a lot of contemporaneous reports of the lawsuit itself in the Times. Well, I'm, I'm sure and, that the effect of the lawsuit was only to draw more attention to this book than it probably would have gotten otherwise. Yep, very Streisand effecty. Um, I found like an old Houston Mifflin, who's the publisher, like Q&A from before Houston this. Mifflin? Isn't it Houston? Houston Mifflin, excuse me. Houston um, Mifflin <laughs> is Texas-based. <laughs> an unauthorized parody of Houston Mifflin. Uh, where like they had they had put up a, a Q&A on their website of like, what is this lawsuit? Why do we think that we're in the right? Um, that's just odd that all that stuff, you know, kind of happened. And even the New York Times review, which was not particularly positive of the book, said, had the novel simply been published as planned, it probably would have created a small stir as an intriguing but poorly executed idea, then like so many medio mediocre books faded quickly away. Now, however, people who care about freedom of expression and First Amendment rights frankly do give a damn, which is very clever of Kakutani in the New York Times. Yeah, um, good one. What did the New York Times not like about it? I'm curious to know to kind of as we'd slowly start to push into book discussion. Found the protagonist not super engaging and interesting thought that the political aims of the book to attack on with the wind outweighed the literary merit of the text itself. Um, likening it to like John Updike's retelling of the Scarlet Letter and other kind of, I'm going back to this classic text to prove a point kind of thing. Okay. Um, which is the least charitable reading of this. The LA times review is way more positive that says like, um, it's about belonging and empowerment and self-worth and, and ownership um, and could only be accomplished with this type of story. Uh, and Randall herself said, like, she was not surprised to get bad reviews in the sense that, like, that just means that they didn't get it, but I'm okay with people not getting it because I didn't make it easy for people on purpose. Well, and I, I think that also, that New York Times review also sort of... It's working off of a pretty narrow definition of what literary merit that's is. That's what she said. Like, yeah, yeah. That's what Randall said. Mm -hmm. To 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 say that something can either be like going back to a previous work and and commenting on it, or it can have literary merit, <laughs> uh -huh. seems sort of not right to me. But that's I don't know. We're we're a little more broad on this show i think in our interpretations of some of these things yes and and there are other examples that that review sites that do work for the author but this one didn't and who knows it's hard to tell what biases were at play there um anything else about randall you want to hit andrew do you want to take a quick break and come back with the book uh, we could take a break Craig, when's the last time you brushed your teeth? Maybe this morning. Oh, it's not good that you don't know. I no, I think I did, but I probably had coffee like right after. 
<laughs> oh boy. Yeah. All right. I'm I'm gonna need you to form some better brushing habits, um, which you would be encouraged to do if you'd read the ad copy for Quip, one of our sponsors this week. Quip says that if you have good habits, you are good. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There are a lot of ways you can read that line, but I chose that one, which says that you're a good person if you have good habits. Uh, Vis-a-vis toothbrushing specifically, that means brushing for two minutes twice a day, Craig, and flossing regularly. Quip makes that simple, starting with an electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and anti-cavity toothpaste. Quip's electric toothbrush has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer and 30-second pulses that guide a full and even clean. Every 30 seconds, you change to a different quadrant of your mouth, and that's how the toothbrush makes sure that you're doing it right. Uh, The Quip floss dispenser also comes with pre-marked string to help you use just enough floss. Uh, Plus, Quip delivers fresh brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping, so your routine is always right. It starts at 25 bucks, and if you go to getquip.com slash overdue right now, you'll get your first refill for free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash overdue. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash overdue. Quip, the good habits company. So, Andrew, I made a quick summary for myself of what happened in Gone with the Wind. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to read them. You tell me if I got anything wrong. Okay. Uh, Scarlett O'Hara loves Ashley Wilkes. She tries to get with him, fails, and marries a dude named Charles. Charles dies after she gets pregnant, and she goes to Atlanta. Rhett Butler's around, making money on the war, and she doesn't really want to be his mistress, but they're attracted to each other. Uh, The siege of Atlanta happens, and she (laughs) vows to never go hungry again. Uh, Reconstruction happens, and she can't keep the house Terra, her property, very easily because of taxes from the federal government. Um, Rhett's in jail because he killed a guy. Uh, Scarlet marries someone else. The KKK shows up and save the day, maybe? It's bad. Rhett gets with Scarlet. That's also bad. And then he leaves. I don't give a damn, etc. And it ends with maybe she's going to get him back one day. After all, tomorrow's another day. So that's pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> the Okay, so as as some of the summaries of this book say, this book does, uh, The Wind Dungan does retell or like happen contemporaneously to parts of Gone with the Wind, but I didn't find that to be the most like accurate descriptor because the like Gone with the Wind starts before the war, like as Scarlet as, is sort of a young woman just coming into her own. And then the war happens, and that's a lot of the middle part of the book. And then you get after the war in the like last third or like two fifths of the book. The so Windungan takes place, I think, primarily after the war and through like you are in Reconstruction for most of it, but clearly Reconstruction is is sort of ending as the book comes to a close. Like, oh, okay. As, if you know anything about Reconstruction, you know that it didn't last for for very long. And it's followed by this Jim Crow era of like voter suppression and Southern whites sort of taking power back. And even though slavery itself is abolished, like many of its sort of mechanisms stay enshrined in state law for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so who's this book about then? It's about uh, Sinara is her name that comes from the poem that the book Gone with the Wind takes its name from, huh. an Ernest Dowson poem, I think. Okay. <laughs> um, 
but she is she's unnamed for most of the novel because it's like a first person it's like a diary that she's keeping huh. essentially okay um and she is she's related to scarlet's family uh she is scarlet's half sister cool so one of the things that this book does is like gone with the wind romanticizes everything about this like antebellum south like tara the house and uh cotton farm that the o'hara family lives on uh gerald o'hara's like his pull himself up by the bootstraps immigrant story where he comes over and even though he's irish which <laughs> in gone with the wind is is very bad to be irish sure like basically it's basically as bad as slavery to be it's, an irish person yeah mm-hmm. um like he, he he's got this whole thing where he won this this thing and he, he married his wife and he has this family and it, it was this major accomplishment of his um in this book all that stuff kind of gets turned on its head a bit because what the deal actually was is there's a there is a um like a house slave basically in gone with the wind named pork okay who in this book is called garlic very tasty food names oh this guy has in both places <laughs> i'm glad i've already eaten today and he's been he's been you know he has accompanied gerald o'hara for a long time and he is actually sort of the mastermind behind him like winning tara in this like poker game or whatever it was that he he wanted in like he got the other guy drunk and he's doing all this stuff this whole time with the like with an eye toward improving his own lot in life and eventually like running this house himself, which he is basically doing. Okay. Um, throughout the wind on, especially by the end. So kind of a, a literalization of like who the South was actually built by kind of thing. Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, and then the other, the other thing that is going on is Gerald O'Hara, like he and his wife, Ellen, who are, you know, portrayed as very like they have kind of an ideal sort of thing going on in, in Gone with the Wind until I believe she dies first, and then he dies later. Um in this one, like she was in love with like a cousin of of hers, but they didn't get married for a reason we can get into a little bit later, uh, when we start to talk about some more of the like race stuff that's going on. Um so she marries Gerald, but she's not really attracted to him, and so she does like the the person who is sort of pulling the strings behind this relationship is Mammy who makes it so that Gerald and Ellen can like get together and have the kids that they have, including Scarlet. But Gerald is actually in love with Mammy. And so Gerald and Mammy um, sleep together and, and have this big long running affair. And Sinara is the product of that. Okay. And so there is some, like, Mammy is sort of a motherly figure for Scarlet in the book, in a way. And so, the like, the Windungan is playing a lot with these two girls. Like, they have, they have very different lives, but they share mothers in a way. Because mm. both, both uh, Ellen, who's called Lady in this book, um, and Mammy are both sort of mother figures to both of them for a while. But then as Sinara grows up... And she starts to, I don't know, she, she starts to look a little more like Gerald and, and I don't know, people just want to avoid the, the trouble that will like come with the uncomfortable questions and things. So she gets kind of sold oh, 
okay because she is still a slave like this is pre-emancipation so this is pre-civil war this part of her life or is this This part but this is this is told sort of retroactively okay she's writing in this diary you're getting this information okay um and so as you as you get into this book she is um she is together with this guy who's only referred to as R, who is none other than Rhett Butler. What a what a disguise, Rhett, uh, only going by yeah. R. No one would well, know. That's not his disguise. It's just how she <laughs> describes him in this diary where she's calling everybody garlic and lady. Oh, okay. That, and Scarlet is called other I, I because heard, she's like yes. the other. The, the diary other conceit sibling. allows those renamings to make even more sense. I hadn't yes, considered right. that. Okay, sure. Yeah, no, he's not like, oh, it's it's me. It's just me, <laughs> Rhett Butler, and a fake mustache. <laughs> yeah, I'm imagining him with like a mask on, just with the letter R on his forehead, like a cool masquerade mask. But I think he's still he's still legally married to Scarlet, but Scarlet is at Tara, like it, it, throughout the like first half or so of the book. That's where you're getting the most overlap with Gone with the Wind is like Scarlet is at Tara. She's kind of kind of running the place, kind of sort of pining away a little bit. Um, and Sinara is with Rhett. And again, they're like because Scarlet and Sinara are like laying claim to so many of the same people. A lot of what the diary is doing is just like comparing them and, and talking about. Just talking about those interactions. Okay. Um, basically, like, so she, she, Sainara, felt sort of like she has two mothers, but also she has no mothers, really, because Lady and Mammy both, like, sent her away, and she, and Scarlet is the one who kind of gets everything, and so she is with Rhett, and she she has convinced herself, I guess, and there's 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 evidence for this, but she's convinced herself that like he saw her first and like wanted her first and more than Scarlet, but he married Scarlet because that's kind of how it had to be. But now she is the she Sinara is the one who has gotten him in the end. Huh. Okay. Does I, that make sense? No, it I don't does. Know if I'm describing it's it worth well, re- it's worth remembering. Correct me if I'm wrong. That Sinara is completely an invention of Randall's, right? Like. This is not a character from the book renamed that I, it, my research has, has found. As far, yeah, as far as I know, and like I said, it's been a while since I've read Gone with the Wind, so I'm not sure. Like, it, it might be the case that there is some character, maybe, who's in the background of something who could be Sinara, but the, but the way that Randall has constructed it is Sinara has been sent away from Tara before Gone with the Wind opened, so she's conveniently not around. Okay, and then, you know, by the by the time you're spending a lot of time with her in this diary, like all this, all the events of the book Gone with the Wind, including all these marriages and Scarlet sort of being a businesswoman and then having another kid with Rhett, and then that daughter dying, like all that stuff's kind of happened already, and she's already sort of receded back to this this house where Sinara doesn't really care to go because like Mammy is still there and there's still like painful memories and stuff there. So th- yeah, they just don't, their perspectives don't, wouldn't have that many opportunities to run into each other. Okay. Okay. 
Does she end up interacting with? I'm trying to think, it's like that Ender Shadow book where, yes. like, oh actually, it was like Bean was there all along, am, and actually, it was Bean. I have tried to come into this discussion <laughs> without my predisposition against that book <laughs> because I do really, I it especially okay. Here's why I I think that that is not as. It's useful as a structural comparison. It doesn't seem as useful as like an intent comparison. No, it's not because right? like Sinara doesn't come in and like actually she's the heroine of Gone with the Wind <laughs> and also she has really like neoconservative ideas about world <laughs> politics and stuff. Like that so it's not in it's that not way that. it's not like Ender Shadow. <laughs> no, and and her you know being around the peripheral of the original story is actually meant to deliberately recontextualize what the original story was doing in a in a critical way or a parodical way if we're taking the court's decision yeah like if if you want to if you want to take the the most boiled down version of of what it's doing it's taking all this all the like greatness of the white south and it is recrediting it to the people who were actually responsible for it okay okay so she is how long in the book is she with R? Um, they what first is, what met, are they trying to do? So that she is around thirty and he is around forty-five um, during the like the main like present day action of the book. Like like okay. it, it jumps back and forth in it jumps backward in time, but only in the sense that you in the present would write something about the past. It's not like you're it's not old diary entries. Yeah, right. It's a current okay. diary entry talking about old things. But they met maybe like 15 years ago, and I'm not sure how long their like current affair has been going on, but they've they've been together for a few years. And like marriage is is on their minds, I guess. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um Okay. So that's like that's the basic that's one of the things the book is doing is just taking on with the wind and sort of twisting it, which is the parodied aspect, I guess, of the book. How are well, how are like how does she talk about Scarlet and Rhett? Because I think that's a thing that Randall has talked about. Like, what do you mean like their relationship or about them as individuals? Them as people. Oh. Like what types of people are they from Sonara's perspective? I mean, Rhett, Rhett is something that she has that Scarlet can't like lay reasonably lay claim to like she is she is one in that sense okay and that that tells you a little bit about how she feels about scarlet which is primarily like as a rival as two people who are in many ways the same but took different paths through life so um one of the other one of the other reasons why they are the same in this book so earlier i talked about um ellen o'hara had being in love with this cousin of hers, um, but them not being able to marry for a secret reason. And no, it's not that they're Ooh. cousins because that was chill, I totally guess, in fine. olden times. <laughs> yep. Um, but it's because they both had a shared ancestor who was black. Oh. And in the South for a long time. And then the book plays with this a bit, and I'm, I'm going to talk about it as much as I can without like editorializing a lot because I just you know it's not my experience so I just want to try and relay what the book is doing without sounding like an idiot (laughs) um but there's there's a thing and especially in the south called the one drop rule that's basically held if you had a black ancestor anywhere in your bloodline like you could legally be Mm -hmm. be described as as black or like you could take that one as your 
sort of identity. I think I think for a lot of intents and purposes, just like reading about this, I think the more widely accepted rule, I guess, was that if it was like an eighth or less, you could be legally and and culturally white. But it had a lot to do with things like skin tone and and like whether the community you lived in, like how they saw you. If anybody listening has an has an opportunity to read or see, there's a great play called An Octoroon by Brandon Jacobs Jenkins that's like four or five years old um, and deals a lot with this. And it's also that's very also like high melodrama meta theater at times, Mm -hmm. but it gets into this specific issue and unpacking identity through really like scientific but specious means like an attempt to graft science onto a law in a way that is going to allow you to enforce your own kind of crap right? <laughs> if you're the South. But the, the interesting way that this, that, that Randall sort of works this into Scarlet's and Sinara's characters is Sinara is described in the book as a quadroon. So like a quarter. Okay. Black. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that's mathematically how it works out, but point point being, she's she's pretty light skinned, and I, I I don't know that she is doing a lot of of passing, but when she is, she's sort of working to to claim her black identity and to like reconcile herself with her mother and th- and that kind of thing, whereas Scarlet also is technically black but hasn't done any of this stuff, and so like she has oh. she has the blood, but she like didn't have whatever like temperament or like resilience or, or whatever it is that, that Sinara is sort of laying claim to. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. That seems this is, I, I was surprised. Well, not surprised. I was just intrigued when I heard Randall also talk about her work in country music. And, you know, that is particularly a genre of music that here in America that spends a lot of time talking about the white people that made it um (laughs) even though it has a lot of roots in black music from the south and you know uh she talks a lot about going into that industry and getting interested in that whole genre of music as an attempt to explore and reclaim where it came from sure and and I was struck by the connection to then when she started to become a novelist her first impulse was I'm going to come at Gone with the Wind with a crowbar and like <laughs> tear this thing down mm-hmm. and put my voice on it. Um, and she talked about the, it's interesting that you've brought up kind of the motherhood thing a couple of times because she did talk about wanting to honor and defend the integrity and legacy of like her mothers and grandmothers, like generations in ways that she felt like black men had had some opportunities to get better standing in society and this book was one of the ones that she saw as an obstacle to like women getting a similar uh you know time in the sun okay um this is interesting that she was just like around the, what did she say is like joe lewis won his title fight uh which was a big moment for black athletes the same year that the, that gone with the wind came out and she was like but no one that's also when like mammy happens and she's like that's mm-hmm. bad yeah what can i do about that sure um what anything else about like the comparisons to the original text that stand out or like other stuff she's playing with. Oh, I think the only other big like plot thing that happened is there were male O'Hara heirs who died as babies or kids. And it's revealed in this book that maybe Mammy did it. 
or oh. or maybe maybe Mammy and, and Pork slash Garlic did it, or maybe they didn't do it. And Sinara asks Garlic about it, and his cryptic response is, "If we didn't kill them, it's because we didn't have to." Wow, which suggests that one way or the other, the kids would have ended up dead <laughs> because what? this is part of like Pork slash Garlic trying to eventually become the person who is in charge of this house. By oh, leaving okay. Male heirs. So, and and by the end, he does do that. Huh. Um, and then Scarlet also dies, and that prompts Sinara to think through her relationship with with Scarlet. And by by the end, she's gotten to a place where she feels like she is no longer competing with her because she is she is walking away from Rhett and sort of striking out on her own and, and making her own path forward. Like she and Rhett spend some time in reconstruction era DC where there are, are some like black congressmen who've been elected from the South, like before the backlash can develop that sweeps. Yep. Yep. Those sorts of folks out of, out of power yep. for a while. Um, and she, she meets some people there and, and form some relationships. And by the end of the book, that's kind of where she's she's chosen to be. It's like she's not she's not in DC, but she is in the lives of the people she met while she was there. And she's no longer in like Atlanta or Tara or or anywhere like that. She is she has gone from that. Um Yeah, I don't know. Like that's that's most of the the Gone with the Wind interaction. Um Is there anything else that it does to like st- the, one of the quotes from the judge ruling was, um, it portrays powerful whites as stupid or feckless and generally sets out to demystify Gone with the Wind and strip the romanticism from Mitchell's specific account of this period of our history. Yeah, like that. that's one of the things it's doing. Um, another one of the things it's doing is like black folks in Gone with the Wind are generally portrayed as benign, but... And like smart in their way, but not smart in the way that white yeah, folks are yeah, allowed yeah, to be yeah. smart or they're like mean people who are the ones who prompt the the gentlemen and the Ku Klux Klan to to rise up and defend their culture or whatever it is. I um and in, yeah, in this book that's that is not the that that's definitely not the depiction <laughs> no, that you're getting. Sure. You're getting people with who have rich inner lives and people who and and some of the stuff that she encounters as somebody of like mixed descent is like she is one of the reasons why she doesn't really stay in DC is like she's having kind of a, an affair with a congressman for a while who has just like recently become engaged and she gets a lot of pushback from the black community in DC because she, you know, she, she is, she's ruining the reputation of this, of this family man and this congressman. And if he doesn't get reelected, it's going to be because he's out, you know, gallivanting with you instead of like being huh. standing gentleman. I don't know. So like it, that's, that gets speaks to like an issue of like, who who gets to be her people like who where does she actually fit in right well, that's, yeah and it's a it's a thing we've we've run into a lot of times when we've, we've talked about this kind of literature is is that that experience of not belonging anywhere yes yeah. for sure anything else about like the parody thing a lot of I, you keep asking me i've told you everything my dude. i don't well, know <laughs> like, i just mean like it is that a useful 
label for this book it probably is not right because i i mean it's a label that was applied because a judge said it had to or like that was a part of a part of a settlement like it it is i technically if you interpret the word parody really widely sure that's what it is but i don't like i didn't because i read it on kindle i didn't even see a cover i didn't see the parody thing until i until i started researching it like midway through and i wanted to make sure i was remembering the events of gone with the wind right and and getting the interactions between the two books right like i was not reading it and thinking boy what a parody this is <laughs> and so i, I just, don't i find like a discussion that's solely anchored to that word to be especially just, reflective of what the text is trying to do yeah it seems to be a big stumbling block for people who come to this book like i a lot of the pu- like professional reviews and online reviews are like, what? Nothing about this is funny. Like, this isn't a parody. What? This is just like taking down a book I love. And it's like, well, yeah, that's the point. It is doing that, but yeah, that's it is definitely doing that's kind that. Of what the yeah, that's what the point of the thing is. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess I don't. We're kind of, this is kind of a short one so far. Sometimes when yeah. we say we're going to sit down and do a short one, we don't actually. But if you're going to like putting myself in the shoes of that New York Times reviewer talking about like the like the literary merit of this book as like a standalone thing, I guess if I'm trying to interpret those comments very charitably, the stuff that I want to think about and talk about with this book is all about what it's ripping out of Gone with the Wind and like scrambling Yes. And maybe a little bit less about what the characters, like what Sainara, who Randall created, is doing, and then what all these other characters from Gone with the Wind, who Randall is like continuing the story of. Sure, 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 sure. It's like what they're trying to do. Well, and the I'm just kind of scrolling through the review a little bit to make sure I'm representing it correctly. Um, this is, again, it's from Michiko Kakutani. Um, just they didn't seem to enjoy Sinara as a character. Um, the quote, although the wind done gone is supposed to be a buildings Roman that traces its narrator's journey from slavery to freedom. Sinara turns out to be a, a generic heroine that it's hard for the reader to care very much about her adventures. Do you agree with that? It doesn't sound like you agree with that. I don't think I would agree with that as, as written. No, like, is he is he is he trying to say that it the book doesn't do that or that it does do that and he wasn't interested in it? To begin with, okay, Sonara turns out to be a generic heroine that it's hard for the reader to care very much about her adventures. She defines herself almost entirely through her relationship to Scarlet. As a child, she is jealous of the attention that her mother Mammy lavished on, lavished on Scarlet, and as a young woman, she is jealous of Rhett's pursuit of Scarlet. So, this really just seems to take issue with the. It, how strong the book's relationship is to Gone with the Wind and yeah. doesn't think it is independent enough or that the character has enough to offer outside a, of what you are finding interesting. I feel like I'm doing a lot of this this episode, but it's another thing where like I can't argue with the substance the of the thing that the guy is saying. I'm just saying that it didn't like my response to it is not what his response is, which you know, you have these two like huge literary characters who <laughs> overshadow the genre and like Scarlet in particular is doing all this stuff. And then you have somebody who is 
who has lived her whole life in close proximity to them and is partly defined by that. Like that's a pretty strong like foundation to build a character on, I feel. Yeah, and it seems like the aim of the book too. So this just sometimes that doesn't work for you. Like sometimes you just don't like how an instrument sounds and you're just not going to go hear a band with clarinets in it cuz you don't like clarinets. Like that's going to happen if that's what the band wants to be. Like you don't have to listen to it. Yeah, but. and it's, it's also just the the I feel like the book is here's a character who is who is not another scarlet like totally yeah sure but she, sound, she yeah. is sort of a mirror image of scarlet in a lot of ways and it's talking about how those very small like arguably legally not even relevant differences between the two of them have created these like two very different human experiences mm, sure and i found sure. that interesting and maybe you, yeah, maybe yeah, he yeah, didn't yeah. and maybe you know maybe some people won't but well, and it was funny in the Randall interview I watched, she talked also about like, you know, talking about how this was a transformative work of Gone with the Wind was like not a lot, not long after my book got published, there was a version online that was like a porn version that made it all like sexy in ways that I did not care for, but that's their work and it's transformative of mine, so it's good to go. <laughs> now, I'm not. I don't know what that story would have been called. I'm just gonna say that if it wasn't called "Bone with the Wind," that it was a wasted opportunity. That's true. Um, yeah. But but so if you super love "Gone with the Wind" and you, I don't, the, the main your main emotion about that book is that you love it and you. Like love Scarlet and Red, and you love and... Scarlet and Red, and about and and maybe you acknowledge some of the some of the ways in which it is it is problematic, but you know it's it's in the context of the author's experience and the time that it was being written and whatever, whatever. Then you are probably going to come to this book and like not find much to like care about. But if you read Gone with the Wind and you acknowledge, okay, these are really strong characters, but also this is either at the root of some of the like Southern myth stuff, or it is like springing up from a place where stuff like birth of a nation and a lot of that other junk yep, yep, sprung yep. up. If, if you, if you think more about that when you're reading gone with the wind, which I did, which is partly a, you know, a product of when I read it in my life and in like our political moment, I guess. Yeah, totally. Um, but if you read it like that, I think you'll come to this book more, open to to what it's doing and if it doesn't leave as big a mark on your brain as gone with the wind did then that's fine but it at least is sort of picking apart what is what is not great about the original book and and making it easier to examine in some ways if that makes sense yeah when we in one of the things I really liked that you said in the Gone with the Wind episode was like, tell me you more about the cool things that I said. <laughs> we talked about like, do you need to just like pretend Gone with the Wind never existed? Like, should you ever, should you never read that book? Or like, maybe we just don't need new versions of that book. And you you talked about how Gone with the Wind could be very teachable if you approach it with a critical lens, and you're like, what about this? contributed to certain historical things what was it reinforcing and it sounds like wind done gone would be a great companion text if you are like looking at the lost cause you know whole ethos in literature and then you want an answer to it like you want 
that's what Randall says a lot about this book is she's like, I felt like there should have been a response to Gone with the Wind that had not happened yeah. for a long, long time. Well, and if you if you want to read it as a 200 page fictional critical response to Gone with the Wind rather than its own novel, then it might actually work better for you that way yeah yeah like if you if if Sainara as a character doesn't do anything for you then just read it like that and and you'll get most of I think what Randall is aiming at but yeah I don't know cool well I'm glad that we got to talk about it because I think it's worth it is worth revisiting why the heck that first book is has been around and has been so popular for so long and what uh, what are ways to talk about it that are constructive and, and interesting and novel? Sure. Um, and this book seems like one of them. So, Andrew, thanks for reading the book and tell me about it. You're welcome. I really appreciate thanks it. Thanks for I also really, about it. I also really appreciate emails um, that f- folks can send to overduepod at gmail.com um, where they can tell us about books that they wish would get responses by talented authors. <laughs> um, you can send those things also to Facebook and twitter.com slash overduepod. Thanks to folks talking about the show on social media this week, including Ali, Amelia, Nicole, Britt, Lainey, Kate, Maggie, Holly, Benji, and many more. Um, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed, um, the social things that Craig mentioned. We're also available on Spotify and Stitcher and other mm-hmm. places mm-hmm. where you can find podcasts. Um, we have a new listener page that I think we updated we recently, updated. right? Yep. Did you update that? I know we I talked did. about updating it. I definitely told you, actually, you that I updated it. You actually put the HTML down on the, on the old website. <laughs> I got in there. I got um, into the matrix and I recoded it. <laughs> if you were looking for an episode of the show to get started with and you don't just want to pick a book that you know, those are some episodes that we like and think went well. Um, Gone with the Wind is one of them, in fact. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else? Patreon.com slash overdue pod is how you support us. And you can also request that we read books through that and, uh, get episode bonus episodes, including Hellboys, our long read anthology series about Dante's divine comedy early. Yes. I will also be updating the website soon with our February or February, February, please. Which includes this episode, The Wind Gone by Alice Randall. Uh, coming up next, The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. I'm hungry. Followed, Are you hungry? But, yep. I'm also in the West with The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin <laughs> with special guest Kate Reculia. And then we'll wrap up the month with Paradise by Toni Morrison, as well as a bonus episode on the Sonic the Hedgehog, the official movie novelization by Kyle Fegley. Um we Man. gotta go fast to make if, sure that one's yeah, good. Yeah, if you want to listen to that one early, do you do gotta go fast to patreon.com slash overdue pod. <laughs> that's it, everybody. Yeah, that's it. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to our podcast for another week. I hope you have a good February. And until we talk to you next time, try to be happy. That was a headgum podcast. 
Uh, if you are trying to find an episode of the show to get started with. <coughs> oh, damn it. Oh, I thought I could talk through it. Ugh. <laughs>